Don't listen to me. Oh, yeah, there you go. All right, everybody, find a spot. Yeah, you know what will be good is if you go to another spot and really throw people off. Go sit where they were. It'll be fun. All right. Oh, it's good. It's good to be here this morning. And hey, we didn't even have to fight through a bunch of snow. I have some low-end feedback there. Can you hear that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm really glad you're here, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. I'm glad you're here. Uh, it's awesome. We, we're, we're in the middle of a, I shouldn't say middle, we're only in the third week of a series called Building Strong Families. And uh, so, but each, each week's got its own thing happening. So if you, this is your first time here, then that's, that's okay. You're going to grab hold of what we're, what we're talking about this morning. And uh, it's a privilege for me to be here and uh, speak to you guys. Um, let me uh, go ahead and let, go ahead and do this for me. Turn, if you would, if you've got a Bible or your electronic Bible on you, turn to Deuteronomy 6 for me, if you would. If you need a Bible, you can just put up your hand, too. We've got some in the back if you need, if you want a real Bible, not the electronic one. Am I still feeding back a little bit? Sounds like I am. Can you turn me down just a bit? I'll talk louder. How's that? All right, turn to Deuteronomy 6, and we're going to look at verse 4. And uh, for those good Bible students who've been to Israel with us and have been, also been part of uh, doing Discovery Bible Studies, what do we call this? What is this called? The Shema. The Shema. You might hear that statement. Shema means here or here. Oh, it's the starting statement of this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, I'm in a different version. I'm in uh, um, New Living Translation. So I'm going to read this to you. But uh, if you've got something else, it should be pretty darn close. It says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you Today, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. And you will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Let's pray. God, this is your very word. Lord, as you spoke it over your chosen people, your called out ones. And Lord, you speak over us as your called out ones today. So, Lord, I just ask that right now you'd give me gifts of preaching, teaching, communication. Lord, you fill me with your spirit. Lord, give us all uh, ears to hear, eyes to see what you have for us this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. I really believe God's word is true. And this will sound funny, but one of the reasons that I really believe it's true is because it's totally honest. It's totally honest. See, I think... A lot of times what people have heard who've not really read it, they get fooled into believing that somehow the Bible always favors or leans toward Jews or Christians and sort of rejects 
other religions or those who are outside faith or whatever. But if you, if you've actually read it, that's a really ignorant stance, isn't it? Because the Bible is absolutely true and honest, and it shows us in all of our blemishes and all of our brokenness. And God is always more honest with us than we are with ourselves. Amen. Right? And you know what I'm talking about, though, right? Because, like, you know, this is a quote from Churchill. History will be kind to me, for I intend to write it. Right? That's an old saying that you hear. You know, those who win in history get to write history and how it comes out. Well, God, you know what? The thing is, though, since the Bible's nothing like that because God's not insecure. <laughs> he already knows who he is. He knows who you are. And so he's okay with all of these blemishes being in there. And uh, in fact, the things that, the one, the many of the reasons they're there is to help prosper us and to help us. Now, I've been on a track of reading through the Bible again, uh, kind of beginning to end. And, um, and what's, uh, do you guys use, what do you guys use for like just trying to read through the Bible? Like what's the, what's the one with the little videos? What's that one? Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm in that. I love that because then you get those cool little videos at the beginning. It kind of sets the whole book for you, which is really nice. But anyway, I've been in, the, I've kind of started back into that. So I'm in all of this Old Testament stuff. And, um, you know, I, I have to be totally honest with you. As I'm reading, I sometimes get really depressed and kind of disappointed. And the reason that is, I usually like, hey, you know, if you're really discouraged, then read the word of God, you know, but as, you, as I'm going through this, I especially am getting disappointed in how generation to generation, there's such failure in there. And I really struggle with that. And I'm just going to share a few stories. These are some of the ones I've been through as I've just been kind of reading through. I don't know if you guys remember Eli, the priest. He had these two sons who were doing the same job they've been trained up to do that he had done. Now, and some of you might not know these stories. You can kind of go back and look through them. Maybe you write down some of the names I'm saying so you can go look at it. But this is in 1 Samuel. And this is what the Word of God says. It says, Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. Now how is it this guy Eli has been serving for for years and years and years? And this is what it says of his sons. And even what about like David's son? Do you remember that story if you if you've been in the Old Testament a little bit in Second Samuel? Is his son Absalom? You remember him? And so here's David. Now is considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest, king in Jewish history. He's called favored by the Lord, right? He says, "This is my friend in whom I love, who I'm well pleased." Like he talks about Jesus. He looks at David and he says, "Man, this is a dude after my heart. I really love this guy." Talking about David. And here is David's son Absalom who kills his kin, manipulates the people to go against his father, and then wants to kill his dad. That's just one, the one generation down. Then there's the story of Josiah. Josiah was a great king. He came into kingship as an eight-year-old, and when he got to be around 18, hey, listen to me, teenagers, when he got to about 18, all of a sudden the word is discovered again, there's a big key is there was no vision or, or, or reading of the law, and they find it somehow. I don't know what they've been doing. Did you know you can go through religious practices and not actually connect with God's word or with God? Amen. Right? That's what, they're doing something in the temple, but then all of a sudden they're doing some, so they're doing some rebuilding and some cleaning up, and they're like, hey, what's this in the corner? And they, they come out essentially with God's word. They bring it to Josiah. He reads it. He's heartbroken in that they are not obedient to it, and he calls the entire 
nation basically to repentance. He destroys all the, the temples of Baal, all that kind of thing. Okay, and so that's Josiah. And he's in, you can read about him if you don't know the story in Second Kings and Second Chronicles, but basically this great king that brings revival. Okay, but then in Second Chronicles 36, his son Jehoaz becomes king. This is after he's passed for a few months, but then he's ousted by the king of Egypt and taken prisoner. So his brother, Jehoiakim, so this is still um, Josiah's son, another son, took over the crown. And the Bible simply says of him, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. So then he's taken captive by the Babylonians and his son, now this is Josiah's grandson, Jehoiakim becomes king and he lasts three whole months and the Bible says of him, Jehoiakim did what was evil in the Lord's sight. We're not even getting, you know, when we talk about multi-generational discipleship and discipling down, man, we're not even getting into the first generation here in this Old Testament stuff that I'm reading. And that, so now you can see why kind of as I'm reading through that, how, what a struggle that is. And if you're a father in here, it's the worst thing. I don't think I can think of anything worse than my children not following the Lord. Because I know that that's eternal. I mean, there are lots of, you know, I can have sort of a bum who doesn't get a job. I can have a, you know, they can have gotten caught up in things they shouldn't have got caught up, all kinds of stuff. But I mean, a, 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 a child who's not following the Lord as a father and as a father who's tried to follow after Jesus, it's just heartbreaking. And so finally, it's not just families, but watch this. I want you to see this. It's entire generations that just forget about God. Judges 2, 7 and 8. And, and 10 through 12, it's kind of split out. I'm going to read this for you. It says, uh, this was Joshua. Remember, he was one of the spies that went in, and he was a man after God. And he became leader once Moses passed on over the Israelites. And here's what it says. The Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. And now watch, they had something good going on, and the leaders who outlived him. So they continued to follow the Lord. Those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. Okay, They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the God of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. So we don't even, you know, we were designed for worship. So if we're not going to go after God, we'll go after something. And so right away, this generation's going hard after God. And the next, gen- what is going on here? Do you ask that? I do. I write this stuff in my Bible. If you look at my Bible, I'm like, what the heck is this, God? What, why is this? What's going on with that? I want him to show me because I don't want that. Do you want that, Michael, for your children? No, I don't either. I, I want us to go hard after him. So, in this series, the third week in Building Strong Families, this morning we're going to talk about the power of intentional, multi-generational discipleship or raising a raz. What I did this week and discovered is that God really had a lot of work to do with me. And so he put all kinds of generations and all kinds of people in my life to help me follow hard after him. And so let's take a look back real quick at our main text this morning. If you've got your Bible still there in Deuteronomy 6, I'll wait for a sec. I should have told you to hold on to that. 
Deuteronomy 6. Let's go back and we're just going to look at kind of the front end of this that I read to you earlier. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Man, not just a little bit. You need to be all the way in. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you go to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands. Wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All right. This isn't a trick question. How often are we supposed to be talking about who God is? All the time. We're the most compartmentalized society. That's, this is, that's exactly contradictory to what this scripture is saying, isn't it? Everywhere. Chris, when you're going into work, talk about the Lord. When you're, when you see a person out sitting in their car praying, talk about the Lord. Okay. When you're going to take, tuck your kids into bed, talk about the Lord. Now, you see, the thing is God, like I said earlier, God knows our character. He knows who we are. He knows how we're made. And He loves us enough to be honest with us and look at our weaknesses. And we, and as we look at this and we think about God's perspective on this, okay? What is the problem as we read this passage is God trying to cut off here? What, what's the problem that he's trying to cut off? What's the problem we have? It's close, you're, you're there. Why? Why do we fall away? You ready? We forget. We just forget. That's why he said, you keep reminding, you keep telling them, tell them about what happened. Tell them how I brought you out of Israel, how I brought you out of Egypt. And gave you your own life. Tell them about this. Tell them about that. We forget. That's why the psalmist has to tell himself to worship the Lord. Again, do you, uh, you guys read the same Bible I do? There's some weird stuff there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that psalmist is like, oh, soul, magnify the Lord. Who are you talking to, bro? In this society, we'd be trying to like, do you need to go to the hospital? Should I be calling 911? You're having these conversations with yourself? The psalmist was honest enough to know I forget. Soul, worship the Lord. Drop to your knees and worship Him. And so God is honest with us here and He says, guys, it's not even good enough that you go on Sunday morning, in this case Saturday. <laughs> okay? It's not good enough that you go to the small group. Every moment of every day remembering what God has done. Right? We forget. Alright, so now, before we get too depressed, and I don't want to depress you, Okay, I want you to see some successes in the Bible, and then I'm actually going to talk about my own walk in this, all right? And uh, it was funny, Dennis pointed out a guy to me named Shaphan in the Old Testament, hardly mentioned at all. It's very interesting, but bottom line is his father, himself, his son, and his grandson all followed the Lord wholeheartedly, basically down the same path. He was the court secretary, and, and Dennis, being a png says... He may have been a hairdresser as well with that name. That's such a good name, Chiffon. But anyway, I encourage you to look at him in 2 Kings. Um, you know, then there's a no, better known guy by the name of Timothy in the New Testament, probably not a hairdresser. And uh, Timothy, listen to this. And Timothy, Paul, now in Timothy, Paul is writing to him and Timothy is his young servant. It's his, it's his person that he's discipling. And he says to Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together. Man, that sounds like more than just a Wednesday morning meeting, doesn't it? I mean, the relationship that those two have, that is a deep, deep 
relationship there. Okay, then he says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your, this is so neat, your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remember you, to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. See, Paul says, I remind you again, do you remember when we got together and we laid hands on you and the Holy Spirit came on you? And then you got the gifting that you, he's saying that to Timothy. He says, remember your grandmother and your mother who did this. So this is exciting. We've got three generations going here. This kind of excites me. I'm kind of like, okay, I want to meet Lois and, you know, Eunice here and whatever. So... It's, it's, that's exciting to me. Now, what I want to do is tell you a little bit about my multi-generational discipleship story this morning and some of the intentionality of it and effects that it's had on my life. And, uh, what I'm going to ask you to do is that some of the people I'm talking about, I want you to look for yourself in that and the possibility of yourself on either side of that. See, because it's interesting is I do believe that as Paul saw Timothy's life, he himself was encouraged as well, what he saw in Timothy. And then, of course, Paul was discipling Timothy. Now, the truth is, probably, Timothy may have had, because of growing up as a child following the Lord, even more time in the Lord than Paul, right? Because he came later as an adult. I mean, really knowing God. Really knowing God. (laughs) But anyway, they encourage each other. But I want you to just look for yourself in these stories. Two weeks ago, we had another, our snowy morning two weeks ago. And I came out, and I want you to go here with me, all right? I came out on Sunday morning, and I stood on my porch. It was freezing cold, and it had snowed. And who who else is from snow climate? You grew up maybe in a snowier climate, right? I went out, and, and I just closed my eyes and let the cold come over me. I just took a deep breath, and there's a smell of fresh snow. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are shaking your head at me. There's just this, I don't know. For me, it's life giving. I just, I smelled that, and, and, and immediately, you know how smells or, sa- or songs will sort of take you back, and I remember, and I remember going back to when I was a child, and I lived in Colorado, and that smell reminded me of a Sunday morning when my parents and I would get in the car and get ready to go to church. Now, I, you guys have heard this from me before, but I don't ever remember in my childhood or adult life, except maybe on sabbatical, ever asking on a Sunday morning, Hey, what are we going to do this morning? <laughs> I mean, we got up and went to church. That wasn't, that wasn't like an option or anything like that. And uh, go to the um, next slide there. <clears throat> and that started, next one. That started with my mom and dad before I'm even born. These are my two older sisters. Uh, you know, back then you kind of decked out to go to church, right? And so every Sunday morning, that was what we were doing. But there was something for me when I walk out and I smell that fresh snow and we get in the car, I was excited to go there. I was excited to be there. And this started before my mom and dad. Now, my, my mom uh, grew up in the church and she, she has always gone to church. My dad, however, grew up Catholic in an Italian neighborhood in Chicago and was one of those, unfortunately, that had the snot beat out of him a lot by nuns. And so he really rejected faith for a while and then got saved later on as an adult after World War II. And uh, anyway, but it was his commitment as well to be there every Sunday morning. Now, it didn't start with them. It started with my mom's mom and dad. Go to the next one. This is them on the right. This is old, 
old uh, Ona and James McFadden, and uh, they're good Indiana folks, and uh, they took their daughter, my mom Trish, on the left, every Sunday morning. When they got up, they went to church. All right, so it started even before my mom. And um, with that, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, I, every morning I went, but one of the things I loved when I was getting ready to go to church and I smelled that snow and was going in is I felt loved when I came in there. I knew God was in the place, but it was the people who I felt loved by. Go to the next one. I want to tell you about a guy, this guy that's holding his hat in his hand. These guys are gathered around my dad. He's actually on the other side in the shorts. He's getting ready to be baptized. And, um, and his name is Harry Skinner. And he was probably in his 80s, Harry. And when I came into the church, and I was a little kid, I was probably six, seven years old, eight years old, I'd come in, and he acted like I was the most important person in that church. He would, Paul, how are you doing? What have you got? You know, he'd want to see the truck I had brought in or the, you know, whatever, the army guy that I had brought in, you know, because we were going to sit in service. So, you know, I had to have something that I was looking at there. But anyway, old Harry, I remember him being a godly man. And even to this day, thinking to myself, I love being, I, 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 I loved being at church. And I knew that this guy was a big part of it. And one of the things that I thought about is he made me want to come to church. Now I'm going to stop for a second. Don't you want to be a person that makes other people want to come to church? Don't you want to be that person? Well, I'm telling you some of the old saints here, um, Ed and Lou, they treat me like a king here. Ed and Lou Wilson, they do. And I remember this was really fun when I first met Tom and Nina. Um, is that one, my favorite aunt and uncle's name were Tom and Nina. And I told them that, and she thought that was so great. And you guys, I, I'm going to tell on, I can tell on her because she's not here right now. Be praying for her. How she, is she doing? Is she doing well? All right, we'll be praying. All right. Um, but I'm, tell, I'm going to tell on her a little bit is about twice a year, they always send me a card and they say, we love your worship. You're just doing a great job. We just want to encourage you. We love it. Isn't that awesome? I want to be a Harry Skinner. I want to be a Tom or Nina, don't you? Where people want to come. They, they, because you make them feel special that they're there. You know? Well, this next one, that's why I want to be that kind. This is my buddy Luke. Luke Snow. <laughs> and... Maybe, maybe it's because I don't have grandkids yet, but I love to see him and just want it, love to encourage him. And it's such a small thing, but I'm hoping years from now, maybe he's standing up here and he's saying, yeah, that old fart, he was probably 70. I don't know how old he was. You know, <laughs> when you're young, everybody looks old, don't they? <laughs> you know? But I'm hoping that he says, hey, I went because that... Raz, Paul Raz, that's what he calls me, was there. And he made me feel special. And he felt the love of, I knew it was the love of God coming through Harry. Not Harry, but I knew it was the spirit of God somehow. Kids know, that's what Jesus says. You need to be like a kid. They know, they experience that. I want to uh, tell on Kevin Robinson, there he is, just real quick. 
uh, one of my, uh, I have a guitar student that's here, a family that's here, the Fikes, probably a number of you know him, and Alistair, their son, I was asking him how he liked our children's ministry here and whatnot, and he and his mom went on and on about Kevin's class. Just, uh, just love it. See, he just loves to be here, and he loves being in that class, and he loves learning. Multi-generational. You know, they talk about it takes a village to raise, well, it takes a church to raise a Raz, takes a church to raise a Julie. I mean, it really, God knows that. And so I want to be that kind of a person. Um, I, yeah, oh yeah, hit the next one for me. This is my mom playing piano. What's funny is sometimes God has these ideas about discipleship that we're not too excited about. Like when your mom makes you play the piano because she's a really good piano player. This is my mom playing. Now, I don't know that I'm going to be a worship leader 15 years from now or whatever, but the Lord does. In this next picture, this was fun. I think she wanted to be like Liberace with that pink outfit. (laughs) And out to the right, this is that same church I'm in, and out to the right is a ukulele and a trumpet. So we we had had a big concert thing and with all of her students she had a number of piano students and so I'd done a couple classical songs on piano and I don't I think I sang tiptoe through the tulips on ukulele I don't know and then a couple trumpet concertos or something I'm nine years old here but she's discipling down music to me and it's in when and it's in the context within church worship and she got that from her mom as well who played piano also all right, and to this day, she's eight, some of you have met my mom. She's 88 years old, and she's the, she is the piano player in town for both the Catholic and Protestant church in her small town in Arizona. So she's still going hard after the Lord. After this period of time, I moved down to Georgia. My dad was in the hotel business. Every time a new Hilton Hotel was being built, we moved pretty much to where that hotel was being built, the big, the big ones. And um, we moved down to Georgia. And down in Georgia, I'm, I'm going to go through this quickly. I be, we began to go to a Methodist church. And I'm just going to, I don't have pictures because I just, I tried to even get hold of some of these people to try to get some pictures in. But um, I got into this youth group in a Methodist church and they had this young pastor that came in. And I've told this story before, so I'll be quick with it. But he, first day, he said, we should worship. And we're like, what, what? You know, and there's, I don't know, 10 youth kids there or whatever. And he comes in with his guitar and he starts playing. Can you, does anybody remember humble thyself in the sight of the Lord? Is anybody? Okay. Thank you for that. And, uh, seek ye first. Do you remember that one? And he's playing these on guitar. And I'm telling you, I thought I heard angels singing from heaven. I thought, what is this? This is awesome. This guy was like 23. He just graduated from seminary. He's still in ministry today at a, at a, um, Baptist or uh, yeah, Baptist church out in uh, Georgia. And, um, he took the time. Now we, they, at the church we were at, our church was right by our, our school. And then he, he lived in a house that was a parish center right there next to the church. And so we would come over there after school and he would teach me guitar. He just began to teach me, seek ye first and humble thyself and that kind of stuff. Man, that was amazing. To, I mean, he doesn't know what he did, but God does. And to this day, I give him credit that that's what started me down the path of playing guitar and leading 
worship. And there was another couple there named Johnny and Trini Poor, which was a, they didn't have any children and they were in their mid thirties. And they, and by the way, Steve was a single guy. Okay. Like Jesus, <laughs> like Paul, you know, he had the time to spend with us. Look, I want to encourage you, find yourself in these people that I'm talking about. Every one of you are important in this family discipleship. We're not just saying that so that we can say we said it. That's the reality. It was a 23-year-old single guy that turned me toward the Lord, toward worship. Then there's this 30-something-year-old couple with no children that taught me all kinds of things about the Holy Spirit. Their name is Johnny and Trini Poor that were part of this group. Also, my own peers prayed for me for supernatural healing for a severe cut I had gotten on my finger playing baseball that was supernaturally healed where the best hand surgeon in Atlanta looked at my hand and said, I do not understand what's going on here. Because I had had nerves completely severed that had grown back perfectly. My own peers praying for me, other high school students and junior high, well, junior high students at that point. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) So I moved back to Colorado and I've got all of this new exciting stuff that's in me that God has placed in me. And we went back to go live with a couple here that, uh, on the next one is uh, Mickey and Dorothy, my dad. We called him Uncle Mickey. He was just really one of my dad's best friends. And we, when we moved back to Colorado, we, we were homeless for a little while just because we, you know, we needed to find a place to stay. My dad had taken a new job back in Colorado. And we stayed with them. And this was a godly couple that was at that same church there in Arvada, Colorado, called Hackberry Hill Grace Brethren Church, the one where Harry Skinner had been. And they were such a, just a steady, steady example to me and would often challenge me about the things I was doing, <laughs> which was probably good. And uh, also at that church, we had a small youth group of maybe 10 or 12. Don't despise the small things. So there was a house that we met at. Guess what God was doing in my heart? He was beginning to develop a love in my heart for home groups. I loved it. There was something way nicer about going to someone's house on a cold Colorado winter night when the fireplace is going, right? And, and 10, 10 or 11 of us are around and we're, we're looking at the Bible and we're worshiping together. Guess what songs we're playing? Humble thyself and seek you first. And <laughs> hopefully I'd learned a few more by then. And, uh, and there, and so God's developing in me. Hey, guess what? If that, hey, listen, if that couple doesn't host us, I don't know that I develop a love for small groups. Do you understand? Just the smallest little thing that you do can be actually trajectory changing for a person. I knew, again, I knew it. I felt it when I went in the house. I felt loved. I felt God's spirit. And I began to develop a love for small groups. And I've been a small group pastor in a number of settings and I've always felt like that was one of the best places to grow as a disciple. I also in that church began to work on songwriting. There was a songwriter there and I began to do that. Then my life really changed. I met this hottie during a musical during South Pacific named Julie. And woo, she was hot. And, uh, and so um, we got together and we became really good friends for about three years. Not That was to my consternation. I wanted to be more than friends and I finally wore her down uh, eventually. But we were friends for a good long time. Go to the next one. <clears throat> Isn't that great? This is her family. You know, just makes you want to break out this, you know, say anything, you know, or whatever, you know. I mean, look at that hair. Isn't that great from the 80s? <laughs> Anyway, we, this is Julie's family. 
This is the truth, you guys. And Julie will tell you this. Just us being friends, God had developed a deep love for Jesus in me. I began to ask her, well, what do you guys believe? What's your thoughts about God? You know, whatever. And through our conversations, she began to realize she didn't really have a relationship with Jesus, nor did the rest of her family. Long story short, her, most if not all of her family was baptized in that same, in, or in a, in a church that we were in. Almost all of them. Isn't that amazing? So now, now look what's happening. An 18-year-old or 17-year-old is helping a 40-year-old superintendent of schools come to Jesus. Are you listening to me? Is there a teenager in the house, Anna? Any other teenagers? <laughs> Are you listening to me? Isn't that amazing? Multi, multi-generational. See, it's, we, we can't always think here down, right? Tim, the reason, why is Paul writing Timothy? Timothy's the pa- pastor there. Paul has said, I want you to pastor these people. Oh, and by the way, I know you're so young, they're going to make fun of you that you don't know what's going on. But trust me, you do. Because you've learned. You actually are older than you really are in the faith. Does that make sense? And so multi-generational sort of happens all the way around and everywhere. Right? And so we got involved with, and so I was involved with Julie's family. And then we got married, and we we went to this church where we got involved with a young marriage class. God showed us more. The, the, the guy that was over that and his wife were ahead of us by about 10 years and began to show us some things. Go to the next picture. And we, this uh, sabbatical, we spent a month at this place, at his place in Colorado. So here we are, whatever, 30 years later, 30 plus years later, and still loving this person. He's loving us, you know, and it's really, it was really powerful. And he taught me a lot about money and about business and about being a good husband and being a good, uh, uh, provider and things like that. You know, when you're a 20, uh, we were married at 22. When you're a 22 year old, you need to learn these things. And so he was really good at showing us that. And they had a couple kids and began to show us how to live as parents. Then we made a move down to Texas and I took on my first full-time job as, guess what? A worship and youth pastor. I haven't gotten any further than that. So, <laughs> but, but one of the elders, <laughs> one of the elders and his wife became our best friends. Of course, he was an engineer, so our personalities matched perfectly. And, uh, but they loved our children like they were their grandchildren. And they loved us in a way that was amazing. Dave and Kathy Donnelly. And he showed, and he showed me how to use a Franklin planner. Yes, that was good for me. All right. But here I want you to hear another one, teenagers. As a young youth pastor, I was quite, I liked myself and thought myself greater than I was and often had sort of a sarcastic attitude, things like that. So a 16 year old girl in my youth group set me straight. She pulls me aside one day and she said, she said, you don't really believe this stuff. I'm like, what? And she said, yeah, you, Act like you love God, but then you talk about other people behind their back and you talk down to people and you da 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 da. I was so convicted. I mean, so convicted. Another time while we're down there, our five year old son Eli's in the room with us, maybe he's six, five or six years old, and we're having a discussion and something bad's going on. I don't remember what it is. And we're just, you know, we're just, we're like good Jews, man. We're lamenting. We're like, oh, oh, what are we gonna, what are we gonna do? Da, da, da. 
he's like five or six. He, he, he just stops us in the middle. He's like, well, why don't you guys just pray about it? Why don't you just pray about it? <laughs> like, who's your dad? Be quiet, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, he did that with us. Then we, we spent, I spent time with these other worship leaders and these other leaders, and we came back. Now, then we finally, we moved to Cincy. Now I've got, I'm here in Cincy, okay? And throw the next one up. I meet a good friend on staff at the, oh, sorry, there's Eli when he was about five. I did have that one. Forgot about that one. So the guy on the left, Mike Brownfield, was on staff at Milford Vineyard Church. That's where we came here in Cincinnati, became one of my best friends. Up here, we're exactly the same age, and both of us have encouraged each other through good and bad times. I worked, helped him through a really rough divorce and some different things, and anyway, really good friend. And then uh, these brothers here, and this is why I put this one up here, go back one. These brothers here, every, all of my sons, when they turned 18, Josiah was the exception because he was away from home when he was 18. But my other two sons at 18, I had nighting weekends for them to, to pass them into manhood. And so here's these brothers of mine uh, who are there giving him words of encouragement. We knighted him as a man and we, we, uh, gave him this beautiful Martin guitar and it was just a fantastic weekend because I need these brothers to help my son not forget. Do you see? I need these brothers to help my son not forget because we forget. And to this day, he's going downtown trying to pick up like heroin addicts and things like that, trying to help them. And it's part of ministry stuff that we made of some friends, Dave and Pam Ping, who you know here, who taught us how to work with people, how to have good interpersonal skills and really supported us in a church where we were the lead pastors. And then here I am at Marymount Community Church. Now I'm going to throw up two of my favorite people here, Dennis and Marianne, <laughs> yes, who have really loved us well. And, have, and Dennis has taught me so many things about just how to do many things better than I, than I was doing them. And um, then we have, and again, I want to encourage you guys, it goes, it's not, it's not a ladder, it's more of a lattice, you know, is that we have these young intentional couples that have showed Julie and I so much, Josh, Josh and Rebecca Johnson, the Ericsons here, uh, Steve and Natalie Carpenter, go to this one, Steve doing his best Zoolander there. I bet most of you, many of you don't even know Steve and Natalie, I bet, but you know what they do? They take care of the elderly in our church and they bring them and, and take them back home and they just serve behind the scenes in such a way that it just, it, it honestly, it convicts me if, I, if I'm being honest about it. And then Michael and Sammy Bo, uh, we came over to... Um, Mike's house with them, and I've not seen any, go to the next one, I've not seen anyone more intentional at raising their kids in the bows. This was at the uh, kid, the prayer covenant, 40-day prayer covenant uh, um, uh, fundraiser, and these, guys, these little ones are, are repeating the children's version of the 40-day prayer covenant. And you can't see Michael. His dad's kind of in the way, but Michael's in front trying to help him along. It's a bit intimidating when you're a kid and you get up there in front of everyone and see that. But they learn verses. They, they learn scripture. I mean, I wish I had been that intentional as some of these young families are. And then we've got our young singles and marrieds in our small group. This is them praying only last Monday. A week ago, Monday, for Julie, for her ears. They're the ones who wanted to do that. I mean, they're just like, hey, we need to keep praying for you. And, and again, it doesn't matter if you're single or you're married or you're old or you're young. We walk it out. What Ryan said, we're, you just walk it out. What it is that God's taking you in, in the kingdom. 
Okay, and then go to the next one. This is some of the brothers here that honored my son Jesse when we did his 18-year-old nighting. And this is one of our elders, Michael, washing Jesse's feet. Jesse wept. I wept. He won't forget that ever. He doesn't. He won't. And these brothers had words for him, scriptures for him. And you know what a lot of what these scriptures were? Don't forget. (laughs) Don't forget what's God done for you. Look what God's done for you. Look how God has loved you. Guys, I've been in all kinds of harsh church settings, but it's still God's way of forming us. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to be here. I'm going to share one final story and I'm done. This is a couple. I don't know if Rob's here. Is anybody, is anybody here who went with us to Haiti? I'm just, okay. This was a couple years ago in Haiti. This is, I'm going to finish with this. This is this old couple, Wallace and Eleanor Turnbull. These, this couple felt like the Lord called them to Haiti, are you ready? In 1943. And they've been there ever since. When we're seeing them here, this is at a cafe that's part of their whole kind of compound there. It's a, a Baptist, a Haitian Baptist mission, I think is what it's called. Listen to this. When they came, there was a 1% literacy rate in Haiti in the area that we're in, 1%. So they had to spend years convincing them that reading was even worthwhile. Okay, they get them there. Long story short, they've been a part of starting 300 plus schools, 300 plus churches, a hospital. They taught the people how to do terrace farming and reforesting. And their motto was show and tell of God's grace and love. They would just work side by side, show them how to do it and tell them about God's love. And that was sort of their motto. When we came, and we came with a bunch of teenagers, when we came there, I began reading this timeline. It's actually behind them on that little thing. And I began to read this. And then I, I, I assumed they were dead because it had been quite a while. And then I find out that they're there. And they found out we were there in their restaurant. And they came down. They're like, oh, we want to come down and talk. I'm telling you, these two were more alive than almost anyone had ever met. They were so fun and so jovial. And then they found out we were from Cincinnati. And apparently one of their board members who used to be a pitcher for the Reds or something lived in Norwood. And they said, are you anywhere near Norwood? And I said, yeah, Norwood's right down. Oh, she got so excited. And she has this little notebook where she writes everything down. She writes the names of people and where they're from. I think she's probably praying for us or something. And uh, anyway, I had never seen anything like it, but it's one of those times. Hey, now listen up, young people. It's one of those times where I knew deep in my spirit that I needed to shut up and listen to what these people had to say. I was sitting talking with a couple of my students and we're sitting at a table and then I found out they're over and I could hear that they were beginning to talk to someone else and I just like put up my hand to the kids I'm with. I'm like, hey, be quiet. Let's just go over here and listen to what these two have to say. You know, have you ever been around someone like that? Like, you know, you know, you're like, I just need to listen and see what they have to say about life. Where are you in this? On either side of it, receiving or giving. Which one of this is you? And hey, this is why I say to you, you gotta be here. You gotta show up to small group, to Sunday morning, whatever you're at, because you're bringing what only you can bring. That's the truth. That's what the word talks about when it's talking about church. 
And it's saying that we, you know, it's not just our one service we do together where we're looking at each other. It really means come with a song, come with a scripture, come with a word, come with an encouragement. We need you here. Does that make sense? All right, stand up. Let me pray for you. Oh, Lord, I thank you for your church, which is the body of believers, which is the spirit-filled body of believers who love you. And God, we're broken, we're weak, we still mess up. But Lord, I thank you for everyone. Father, would you show each person in here, young or old, just their own story this week? Maybe that they would just begin to think it through of how you've brought about purposes in our life we could have never imagined. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Thank you for your sovereignty in all this, but God, help us to choose. When you send us a direction, to choose to go that way. Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters to you. Lord, would you bless them? Lord, I come against any plans of the enemy in Jesus' name to bring destruction in their lives. I pray the blood of Christ over my friends and my brothers and sisters. Father, draw us more into your love and to loving others more. In Christ's name I pray, amen, amen. Thanks for coming today, guys.